Welcome to Nest Church, and thanks for listening to our podcast. We hope this word blesses you today. For more information, visit nestchurch.com. We hope to see you soon. And remember, you are I open up your Bibles to Colossians chapter 4, and um, like the old school, if you've been in the church for a long time and the old school way of doing it, um, at least, at least um, the churches where I came from growing up with, uh, under my mom's house was, when you open up to Colossians 4, give me an amen. And, you know, the whole church used to get there in different spots and say amen throughout. So there was always that one person five minutes later, amen. I was like... You know, that's the time you just don't do it. You just pretend like you're there. You know, just like, you just open it up. But anyway, we're there, Colossians chapter 4. All right, um, as we've prayed and, and we've prayed for the word and, and everything, it's an exciting week for us. We're obviously, we're, we're, we're not sharing a message that has today anything to do with any of this stuff. Um, but a lot of work um, has been poured into this. Um, a team has come together and worked hard. I know yesterday they were here to 11.30 at night, just putting all this stuff together. And there's still so much work to do that as soon as uh, you guys leave and enjoy your Sunday, they're probably going to have another long night here again today. And they're putting all these things together. And it's just a, a blessing because at the end, to see the kids smile and the kids running around and the kids learning, it's going to just be a special time this week for VBS. So if there's one thing that you can do for our church specifically is pray throughout this whole week for VBS that the hearts of our children would really be touched and challenged and that they would really encounter uh, the word of God and the Holy Spirit throughout, the, throughout this week here. Amen? Can you do that? Can you pray for the kids? All right, Colossians chapter 4, let's get into this. We're going to continue and we're going to do something very um, special today in Colossians 4. And that is we are going to complete and finish our teaching uh, through the book of Colossians. And uh, we've been titled, we've titled this series, Jesus Versus Everything. And I think we've come to the conclusion. And if you have not, you will today, hopefully. And the conclusion is, as we speak about Jesus versus everything, and in one of the weeks we could define what that everything looks like. Hopefully this is the end. This is the conclusion. And it's this, it's that Jesus versus everything is really, and I think Omar shared this in week four or whatnot, it's Jesus is over everything. And that's the answer, and that's the conclusion. Jesus is, he's one. He's it. And um, so we're going to have a good time today and some challenging moments here through the text, and I think we're going to be blessed by it. So open up your hearts, your minds, open up your Bible, take out your notepad, let's write some notes. We're going to learn today. So let's get into chapter 4, because Paul is wrapping up this letter And if Paul's wrapping up this letter, he's going to end with some very important things. Some things that maybe you read and you said, oh, I didn't even catch that there. I didn't even notice that it was there. I didn't even notice that Paul did this. But as Paul wraps up this letter, uh, you're going to see as he does um, so well, he's going to charge and he's going to encourage the church to do something. And that is to continue to pray. Continue to pray. How many of you prayed this morning? Maybe you just prayed right now with Charlene. I don't know if that counts, but I mean, like, <laughs> if you really prayed, when was the last time that you really had a moment to pray, that you set yourself to a time of prayer where your heart has been in prayer? And um, I think the, the word of God is going to um, challenge us on this. And that's what Paul does here. He's going to encourage the church to pray. 
And, and not just to pray, but listen to this, to pray for him as well. And as Paul uh, does this, um, he does this while being jailed in Rome. And, and you probably hear that. And you're like, well, of course, Paul would ask for the church to pray for him. He's in prison. Wouldn't you ask us to pray for you if you were in jail? Wouldn't you ask for hey, um, uh, the prayer chain? Wouldn't you ask for uh, your grandma's church and your mom's church and your aunt's church and everybody to just start a whole prayer chain because someone you love or you yourself is in prison and especially you're in prison being innocent. You're in prison, Paul's case, for preaching the gospel. So you may say, well, of course he asked for prayer. I think something's going to alarm you today in which uh, or the reason in which why Paul asks for prayer. It actually has nothing to do with prison. Though we would say, of course, he would do this. So he ends with this, hey, let's pray. Pray for me while I'm in jail, yes, but pray for me. And he also ends with his greetings like he does all the time as he writes his letters. He always ends with acknowledging some very uh, important people to his heart. And he does this in most of his letters. He acknowledges his co-laborers, as we would call them today. And some of these co-laborers, as we read them, you'll see that some of them are in prison, um, even with him. So this is going to be fun. Let's start in verse 2, and and let's just have a good time in the Word of God. I'm actually going to pause after um, verse 2, because I think verse 2 is such an important scripture. This is what Paul says. I'll read from the New Living, and I'll tap into the New King James Version as well. In verse 2, it says this, devote yourself to prayer. If you're reading from the ESV or New King James, it probably says to continue steadfast in prayer. However you want to word that, to devote yourself in prayer or to continue steadfast in prayer with an alert mind or to be watchful in your steadfast prayer. So devote yourself in prayer and watch, be watchful Uh, have an alert mind, and have a thankful heart. We're going to stop there for a moment because this is what Paul's going to draw out as he's closing up his letter uh, to the church of Colossae. I read verse 2, and he says something important, right? Continue steadfast, devote yourself to this one thing, and he says prayer. And I ask this question, and I ask it to you so you could write it in your notes And so you can start thinking about it today. And it's this. How does one steadfastly pray? How do you do that? What does it mean to pray steadfastly? Like to continue in a steadfast prayer. Like what does that mean? If I were to ask you to come up here and just pray. Hey, come up here and just say a prayer for brother so-and-so. Would you be nervous? Would you ask, well, what do I pray? How do I pray? Have you ever asked even that question? How do you pray? If you or anyone you know have ever asked how you pray, it's not a bad question to ask. If you remember, the disciples went up to Jesus and they themselves told Jesus, Jesus, teach us how to pray. Remember that? And Jesus says, oh, okay, this is how you should pray. And he says what? Our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come. Thy You guys know, we call it the Lord's Prayer, you know. Uh, but, but he goes through... This whole thing in his Our Father prayer, and it's really not a religious prayer, but it's, there's a framework of things in how we should pray there. Some people say if you pray, remember of the acronym ACTS. 
Always start with adoration, then confession, then thanksgiving, then supplication. There's certain ways, and we could teach you all these things. But what does it mean to steadfastly pray? And then not only that, but to be watchful in it, and then with thanksgiving. What does this even mean? So you read verse 2, and I can't think of anything else. I don't know if you've already done this. I did it. But when I read this, I immediately thought about Mark chapter 14, verse 38, because Paul is repeating the same words of Jesus. And if your mind went there, Jesus once said this, and he said this to his followers. He said this to his disciples. He says, watch and pray lest you enter into temptation. I want you to listen to what Jesus says. He says, pray, but be watchful. Paul says, devote yourself to prayer and be watchful with an alert mind. Be steadfast and be watchful in it. Jesus says, watch and pray in Mark 14. And the reason why he's telling them to be watchful and in prayer is lest they enter into temptation. And then Jesus says something very important. He says, the spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. If you've been following the Lord long enough, you've recognized or you know what it means to have your spirit chase after the things of God while wrestling with your sinful physical man at the same time. Anyone with me? And we've preached here that it's which monster you feed is the one that wins. If you sow into the physical man, the physical man will show fruit. But if you sow into the spiritual man, the spiritual man will, right, will yield its fruit. So whether, whether, if you live for the physical man, guess what's going to be born? What's the fruit that's going to be born? Sin. But if you sow into the spiritual man, what's the, what's the fruit that's going to be born? It's holiness and righteousness. You guys are with me. I know you are. Watch and pray. So what is Paul saying? We're just in verse 2. What is he saying? You see, the church was in Paul's day and still in our day to carry on faithfully one of its greatest disciplines. Or one of, if not the most important element in our walk of faith. And that is, you should write this down, one of the greatest, most important things that I can do in my walk of faith that I'm called to do, that I'm called to be disciplined in, write this down, is prayer. Prayer is it. Prayer is one of the most important things that every believer should be disciplined in. Have you noticed that if we really, if we're truly honest, and if we're to go around the room, or if you're to really uh, put a Christian in an honest place and ask them, how is your prayer life? Or if you ask any believer in Christ, what is one thing that you should do better in? A lot of believers will always say, I know I need to pray better. I need to pray more. One of the most important things for a believer to do or to devote themselves in or to be steadfast in is the one thing that most believers would always admit that is one of my greatest struggles that I should get better at. I lack in prayer. Yes or no? So Paul's going to tell the church this. You should be in prayer and not just be in prayer, but he says be watchful in prayer. You're going to learn from this. Be watchful in it. Why should you, Jesus already gave us the answer. 
Why should we be watchful in prayer? What does Jesus say? You should be watchful in prayer. Lest temptation comes. Because temptation is coming to every single believer. So because temptation comes and the form of your temptation can be different than the form of my temptation, but yet it's your temptation. It could be money. It could be food. It could be lust, right? Greed. It could be, it could be all kinds of things to you. And it could be all kinds of things to someone else. But temptation will knock in every believer's heart, will confront every believer. And Paul and Jesus say the same things. Be in prayer and be watchful in prayer. And I know why Paul's telling the church this. I know why Jesus is telling us this or his followers this. Because temptation is near. And if we don't have a prayerful heart, we're more inclined to fall into temptation. You should know that and write that. Oh, but I keep falling into temptation. I want you to, next time you counsel someone or next time you counsel yourself, because we're the first ones that need to counsel ourselves, and you feel like you're always being tempted or you feel like you're falling constantly to temptation, I want you to ask yourself this question or ask someone that is constantly falling into sin or falling into temptation. Ask them this one question. You ready for this? How is your prayer life? How is it? If they're honest, they would say it's, it's, a, it's, it's endangered, almost extinct. Or maybe they would say it's completely extinct. I want you to process this because Jesus made an emphasis of it. Paul makes an emphasis of it. And we need to learn from this text. We need to learn from the word of God that prayer is important. Paul's ending his letter. And as he's ending his letter, what is he going to end with? If I'm going to end with something, I want you to remember what I end with. And he says, pray. And as you pray, pray steadfastly. Have a prayerful heart so you don't fall into temptation. Paul is, let's go back to week one, chapter one of Colossians. Paul is writing to a church that is being swayed. And you can't look at the book of Colossians and look down upon them like if we've never been swayed. Oh my goodness, when is this church ever going to learn? When are they going to get rooted in Christ and be strong already? And we look at the mirror and we say, well, there's no difference in us. I too have been swayed. There's been moments in my life where the, where the ways of this world. And that's what Paul's doing. He's writing to a group of believers that are being swayed. And we've broken this down already week in and week out. We don't have to do it again in chapter 4. But whether it's legalism, whether it's false holiness as we know it as asceticism, or whether it's mysticism, they're being swayed by all these different voices. Have you ever been swayed by the different voices that live in you? Or by the different voices that surround you. You're just swayed. Maybe we put on the television and the television automatically just <gasps> consumes your life. And the television sways you from what you know is truth. Come on, can any of us be honest? 
And in this church, what's swaying them is legalism, is mysticism, is asceticism. And they're, and they're being rocked to their core. And they needed to hear this. We also need to hear this. I do. And I need to hear it often. It's almost as if Paul's saying this. Ready? Hey, hey, Regal, brother Regal. <laughs> it's me, Paul. And I devote. <clears throat> and I'm asking you to devote yourself to prayer and to be watchful and to be thankful as you do it. He's writing a personal letter to me. That's how I take it. So, so I started to think about this and, and his, his, his um, charge and his encouragement to pray. And I said, man, you know, we could have our devotionals and we could attend our, our gatherings, our services. We could listen to our YouTubes and our quick inspirational one minute segment preachings because we want to condense. Oh, I can't sit or I can't sit down and listen to a teaching for one hour. So give me the snippet of one minute, what he says in one hour, and that'll be my message of the day that'll be my bible study of the day many of us christians we live like that oh don't ask me to spend three hours in the presence of god give it to me all in one minute one segment because that's the generation we live in but beloved the question is i get all those things are are we though taking time to pray isn't the word of god beautiful how i just It's just like, oh, yes, that's me. I, let me see what the pastor's saying. Give it to me quick because I got to go. <laughs> or while I'm driving, give it to me quick because I got to get in the spirit. Give it to me quick because I got to send a text out to let everyone know that I had a Bible time this morning. And I need to let my followers on Facebook and Instagram know that I did a devotional. So I got to copy and paste it to my story so that they could know I'm a Christian. And I did a job well done today. Come on, give it to me quick. And the Lord's heart in heaven is crying. Stop all of that. Take your time and be in prayer and be watchful. That kind of stuff doesn't get you anywhere. Those one segment quick Christianity, it's not meant to be like that. You know how long it took Jesus? It took him three years or so to walk with his men. He walked with them for three years. Walked with them. Walk with him, church. I don't care what the other churches and your other friends and your other family members and the other Christians are doing. I'm just, you and God Let them have their quick fix. Let everyone else have drive-through. Let everyone else be fast food. But you walk. Walk with Jesus. He wants to teach you something. He wants to grow you. He wants you to be learned, disciplined, mature, faithful, wise. And that doesn't come quick. That comes with time. Come on, how many of you just say, yeah, man, that's me. I need to cut something. I need to end my Netflix subscription. I need to turn off my phone at a certain time. I, I need to, and I need to really get my life back in order and walk with Christ again. I got to pray and be watchful because I've noticed in my life, I'm falling to too much temptation lately. How many more warnings do we want? Thank you, Lord, for Paul's writing. Thank you for allowing us to be able to read this. 
Paul is really telling us as well, why be watchful in our prayer? If you really want to listen to this in layman's terms, it's almost as if he's saying, don't fall asleep. Are we not living in a fallen asleep world? Don't fall asleep. I love what Spurgeon says in regards to steadfast prayer. I'm going to quote him. I believe the quote's going to come up here on the screen. But, but listen to this. <clears throat> just, just catch this. He says this. Heaven's gate is not to be stormed by one weapon, but by many. Spare no arrows, Christian. Watch and see that none of the arms in thy armory are rusty. Besiege the throne of God with a hundred hands and look at the promise with a hundred eyes. You have a great work on hand for you. For you have, you have a great work on hand for you have to move the arm that moves the world. Wow. Has anyone ever prayed and moved God? I want you just to think about that for a moment. Who's done that before biblically? Moses has prayed and moved the heart of God. I mean, just sit on that for a moment, for a second. You have a great work on hand for you, for you, have to move, for, you, for you have to move the arm that moves the world. Watch then for every means of moving that arm. See to it that you ply every promise, that you use every argument, that you wrestle with all might. So good. I started to think about this and anyone who is in any kind of relationship. Are you in any kind of relationship? Every single one of us is in a kind of relationship. I'm not talking about romantic. If you are, good for you. Hopefully it's godly and biblical. But it could be a, a, a son, a grandson. It could be a, a coworker. It could be whatever level of relationship, friend, neighbor. You're in a relationship with someone. You have, a rela- you have different relationships and different degrees of depths and intimacy with individuals in regards to those relationships. But anyone who has any kind of relationship would admit this, that communication is vital in a relationship. You don't have a good relationship with someone if you never talk to that person. I don't care how much you think you guys love each other (laughs) or how much you think he or she understands you. If you're not talking, your walk together is not doing well. Communication is so important for people that are in relationship. For example, if I'm going to have a good relationship with my children, this dad needs to take time to not just be in a hurry always, but really give them the attention and the ability to have communication with my children. Why? Because in those communications is where I'm going to grow my child. In those communications is where my child is going to reveal to me what their need is. If I'm not having communication with my children, I'm never going to be able to hear what their need is. And I'm never going to know how it is to fill that need or to teach them how they could fill that need. I mean, we need to understand this. Communication is vital. I think we would all agree on that. As much as we want to dissect that, chew on that, communication is vital. That if it's going to work, there needs to be communication. If me and my wife are in an argument, if me and my wife are at ends with each other, guess what's the first thing that gets affected? Want to take a pop quiz test? Let's do it. Communication. 
It starts to dun, 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 so we'll go a couple hours, then you go a day, then you go, two, and then you go more than a day and two and three, and then it gets really bad. Why? Because no relationship can go forward without communicating. You've all been in a communication long, uh, relationship long enough to understand that with someone. Can we pass it? We understand where we're at? Communication is vital. So, so one person may say this. Let's talk about our relationship with God. One person may say, well, I haven't heard from God lately. Communication's off. I haven't heard from God. Come on, I'm, not, I'm, I'm, I'm preaching to the choir here. I haven't heard from God. Communication is off. What's the response? The response to that is then you're not reading and studying his word. How can you say when you have the, 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 the book of prophecy in your hand, you have the word of the living God that sits in every single shelf in your house. You have it on an app. You have it available to you for free in every corner. And yet we, you, me, and I, us, the world, the Christians, the church has the audacity to say, I haven't heard from God. And God says, well, open up my word. I'm speaking. How can we say that? That's just the truth. God's communicating to us. He's speaking to us and his word is there for it to be read and studied and flipped and turned and highlighted and, and prayed about and cry on and your pages of your Bible should have tear marks on it and You should have a relationship with that. With that book, you should have a relationship with it. It should show that it's lasting. It's just that book in you, it should be intimate with one another because those are, the, those are the exact words of God's heart to us. And we could talk to him through prayer and we could study his word. We're going to come to learn that he answers us through his word. How many of you can say amen? So here's some, here's some, I'm still in verse two. My God, hopefully I'll finish today. How should you, <laughs> how should you, I mean, maybe God just wanted to talk to us about prayer, right? <laughs> how should you pray? How about if I say this, there's no right way to pray. There's days in your relationships. Come on, let's go back to your relationships. Aren't you frustrated sometimes in those relationships? So what comes out of you? Frustrating conversation. So if you need to talk from a frustrated place to God, talk frustrated to him. At least you're talking to him. If you're having a good time and a romantic time with God and you're so happy and you're loving life and you want to put on roses and have a glass of grape juice, if you really, if you really want to take it to the next level and you want to put some wine in there, whatever, you, whatever is your thing, you know what I mean? I'm not trying to get into a problem here. Have it with God. And have a romantic time with God, whatever you, but however, what's going on with you, at least you're communicating with him, just like you're communicating with her, with him, with them, with your son, with your family, with your friend, with your coworker. Communicate. So how can we pray? Well, have a prayerful heart. Have you ever read the scripture where it says, oh, pastor, but the Bible says to pray without ceasing. Isn't that a little too much? <laughs> yeah, I think so. How do you walk around praying all the time? That's going to be awkward and weird. You're probably not going to have any friends. You probably can't get your job done right. You probably can't raise your children. You probably can't have a lover. You can't, you can't have your husband, your wife. How, how do you go and pray without ceasing? Because that is talking about the depth of your heart. Is your heart in a place of constant prayer? Do you have set in you a prayerful heart? 
The set of your being is, is it's, it's without ceasing, meaning that God is not in a category of his own. We've gone over this already. It's centralized. Everything pours from the center of that, and it comes out without ceasing, whether you're in prayer or not. It's kind of like preaching the word when the Bible says to be ready in season and out of season to give a word. You're praying in and out, just like you're ready to give a word in and out. So you're praying without ceasing. It's an internal prayerful heart that is always fixed on the things of God, on the word of God, in intimacy with God. That's number one. That's a good way. And we could talk about that. We could walk along life together and look at that from a discipleship perspective of what does it look like to pray without ceasing. And number two, have disciplined prayer times. How do I start that? Well, wake up earlier. Well, like I said earlier, cancel Netflix, turn off the phone, whatever you need to do and just say, you know what? I'm not going to do a quick drive through fast food happy meal today with God. I'm going to sit down and I'm going to elongate this and I'm going to see where the Holy Spirit wants to take me. And I'm just going to spend time in prayer. And let it happen. Sometimes you could have a conversation with someone and it lasts one minute, but the world was said, and you're just like, that one minute rocked my world. Amen? And sometimes it takes five hours. And you say, finally, at the end of the five hours. But have that time with God. Maybe discipline yourself. Figure out where does that begin. Listen, I can't get into any of your lives. Like none of us can't get into any of our lives. You need to really come to a mature and grown place to say, what does a disciplined prayer life look like? We learned so much about prayer through the life of David, through the life of Daniel. We learned so much of prayer through the prophets like Isaiah and Jeremiah, or even through a priest like Ezra. And we could go on and on in scripture of all these individuals and, and, and how much we could learn about prayer. But come on, I'm going to be very honest with you. Our greatest example is Jesus. He is the model of what a prayerful life should look like. It's Jesus. His whole life permeated prayer, poured out prayer. Jesus' whole entire life, oftentimes, really funny, love it, I mentioned it a lot here, um, oftentimes early in the morning, the disciples would search for him, and he would be arriving from an early prayer session. And they're like, where were you? He's like, I'm the mom, I was praying. What are you guys doing? Why weren't you in the appointment? I was having an appointment. I forgot who it was. I don't know if it was Spurgeon. I forgot which... Some theologian one time, and I've said this years ago here, um, one time desired to meet um, um, his, um, his idol, um, I forgot, English writer. He was a, some sort of writer, poet, I forgot who it was. And he, 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 he just loved him, looked up to him, and finally he had the ability to meet this man. I, I don't remember if it was Spurgeon. Forgive me for not remembering who it was. I have to go back and do research. But he finally um, is able to meet this man, and this man says, all right, tomorrow morning meet me with, for some coffee or some tea, I think it was, for some tea and something in the morning. And the man, here's the guy, tell him at what time to meet him early in the morning. And here's, here he is right before the guy that he idolized his whole life. And he says, oh, I can't do that. And the man looks at him and says, how can you? No one's ever declined me an appointment with, with me to drink some tea and have some, you know, desserts together. And here you, you have a once in a lifetime moment. How, what do you, what do you, his the exact words were, what do you have so early in the morning? What appointment do you have? He says, every morning, every day of my life, I spend time with my Lord first. 
It didn't matter who it was on earth that he looked up to and he idolized, but when it came to his relationship with God, he says, oh, I'm sorry, I have a date with God at that time every morning, and that is not going to get in the way of my date with God. Wow, that's a disciplined prayer life. Take it as you want it, but I thought that was pretty good. We could learn so much, and Jesus is our great example. But if you look closely, he was at all times, not just in the morning, praying, and he was always praying without ceasing, all while functioning in his day-to-day life. How do you know what to say when no one else on earth knows how to say it? And Jesus like, how come he always has the words? And you're answering, oh, because he's God. It's not fair. He has an advantage. He's God. And you might be right about that. <laughs> but let's be honest, he's also a prayerful person. And because he had a prayerful heart, he always had a word in season. He knew when to be quiet. He knew when to speak. He knew when to go and he knew when to stay. He knew when to attack and he knew when to, retre- when to retreat, whatever, however you want to say. Why? Because he had a prayerful life. He was in tuned with the heart of the Father. Are you? Are, mm. So let's keep reading. We got to go. We got to go to verse three. If not, forget it. We'll just come back next week. So Paul says, hey, since we're talking about prayer, how many of you are enjoying the talk about prayer so far? Hopefully it's challenging us. Teaching us. And he says, hey, since we're talking about prayer, guess what? Number two, pray for us as well. Verse three, let's read it again. He says, verse three, actually, we haven't read it yet. Verse three, pray for us too. Pray for us too. Remember verse two? He says, devote yourself to prayer, right? To be watchful in it with an alert mind and, and be thankful. Verse three, pray for us too. That God will give us many opportunities to speak about his mysteries, about his mysterious plan concerning Christ. This is why I'm even here in chains, he says. Verse 4, pray that I will proclaim this message as clearly as I should. Come on, verse 3 and 4 is just as good as verse 2. Don't get so stuck on verse 2. Come with me to verse 3 and 4. Ride with me. Verse 3 and 4, it just gets better and better the deeper you go. What is it? What, what is what Paul writes here in verse three and four is so humbling, at least to me as I was studying this. It's humbling. Not once does Paul mention to pray for his freedom from the Roman prison he's in. Remember how we started the message? Of course, Paul would ask to be in prayer, to be prayed for him, because he's in prison. Wouldn't you ask to pray for you if you were in prison? We all nodded our head when I was saying it. I did that for a reason. I was baiting you. But in verse 3, he says, pray for me too. But look what he says. Not once does he mention his freedom. I want to be released from these chains. But he says this, pray for us that God, look what he says, will open up the door, not the prison doors, but the door to speak and to preach the mysteries of Jesus Christ. Pray that the Lord would continue to open up doors. You hear that from a man that's in prison, you would probably think he's a madman. Because if I should pray for anything in Paul's life is, Lord, do a miracle like you did before and open up the prison doors and break the chains. You've done it before with Peter and them. You could do it with Paul. Now, one time does Paul say, pray that I'm released from prison. Please, at the end of this is actually going to be his guillotine death. The chopping block is coming to, is coming to him. And yet Paul at one time says, please pray that I don't die a Roman's death. Instead, he says, pray, pray that the door would open for me to share the gospel. You know who says things like that? People that are in love. People that are, 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 are there with him. And he says that the door would 
open so I could preach, so that I could speak the mysteries of Jesus. And then he, he kind of like gives you like this like ending part. I love the word, man. It's so good. He's oh yeah. It's like if you're speaking to us today, oh yeah, that's the reason why I'm in chains, by the way. I'm in chains because I'm preaching. I'm in chains because I'm sharing the word of God. He's not asking to pray. Pray for my personal needs. He's not asking that. Which are many. For goodness sakes, I'm in prison. But he's not asking for that. But that God would open up the door for the word. (sighs) Humbling. He was to, he, he was open. Paul was open. He was okay with this to continue to preach, even if it meant more chains. Come on, let's pause here. I know this has nothing to do with any of my points or my message today, but let's, t- let's talk about this for a moment. How many of you would continue to preach the gospel, even if it brought to you more tribulation? And then the more you preach, the more tribulation gets piled on you. Would you say, maybe I should just take a vacation for a little while? Maybe I should just retire. Maybe I'm not hearing from God anymore. Maybe God's calling me somewhere else. What if, if you keep on speaking the word of God, tribulation continues to fall on you, and it's not because you're not being faithful, it's because of your faithfulness, the Lord can entrust you with the tribulation because he knows that if anyone is going to endure it, it's that person right there. So give him, give her what others may not endure. Continue to stack the tribulation on the one who is filled with prayer. Watch how I'm glorified through that trial. Some of us look at trials as if they're God's judgment against us. Sometimes if we're in the right place, God's trial is actually his favor towards you. Why? Because in that trial, I have the ability not to boost myself up and glorify my name, but in the trial, the only one that gets the glory is Jesus Christ, my Lord. So he says, let's give it to him. Let's give it to her. Let's give it to them. The best is yet to come. But maybe it's the best trials are still yet to come. To the faithful ones who endure. Wow. The best is yet to come. Take a picture behind you. The best is yet to come. Yeah, it is. Yeah, it is. I, I want to kind of get into a whole, uh, what's this called? Um, but I shouldn't. Because, you know, I, no, seriously, guys, because if we're really biblical people here, and we're not trying to fool each other, like, seriously, like, how do you define people dying for Jesus? And to them, that's like the best is to come. But maybe to Western Christianity, like that doesn't look like the best is yet to come. But to the kingdom, it says, oh, it is. Watch how people are willing to die for my name. Or watch how people are not willing to take the mark of the beast. Or watch how people are willing to, like, can you? And we say the best is yet to come. He says, oh, yeah, it is. So much good things are coming for us believers. Because we stay faithful in him. Amen. All right, it's a little aggressive today. Let's keep going. <laughs> Let's have a good time. It's Father's Day next week. We have VBS. I told you this. 
I had to preach a hard message because we have such colorful stuff up here today. You know, I had to, all right, never, I had to balance it. But, but the reality is it's the truth of scripture, guys. He's open. He's not praying for him to answer my needs, but praying that God would use me, use me to advance his kingdom. Can you pray like that? Have you prayed like that? Can you imagine, write this down somewhere in your notes. Can you imagine if our prayers were more about God than us? Again, we're a very honest church. We're a very honest family here. How many of us pray more about ourselves than we do about God? Just like being prayer about God. Imagine more about God's heart. If we would pray more about God's heart, more about God's purposes, where we would fix our heart on the Lord and what pleases him, what glorifies him. I get it. This is not a popular message. Prayer is not a popular thing. But if we're honest, let's be honest here today. Most of our prayers are, are on ourselves. We're fixed. We're fixed on what we need. Maybe I'm just speaking to myself. We're fixed on what we need, on what we don't have, on what we feel, on what we think we deserve. A.W. Tozer, I'm going to quote him, said this. God wants to be loved for himself, but that is only part. He wants us to know that when we have him, we have everything. Just be fixed on him. So Paul's heart is seen in his writing and it's focused in one thing. It's focused on the Lord and it's rooted in the truth of scripture, the truth of scripture. And again, he says, pray for us, please pray for us too. And the reason why you should pray for me is this, ready? Write this down in your book, write this down in your prayer journal, Paul says. And Paul says, pray that the door would be open for the word to declare the mystery of Christ. My gosh, on account of which I am in prison that I may make it clear which is now, which is how I ought to speak. I want to be clear of the word of God. Verse five, come with me, live wisely. Everyone say wise, say wisdom. Paul says, not only pray well, not only pray often, not only be in a prayerful heart, not only pray for us to do God's will, but live in wisdom. Another translation will say it this way, walk in wisdom, be wise, live wisely among those who are not believers. How many of your translation says this? I love this phrase, outsiders. So pause and minute, we're insiders. But pray for those who are outsiders, he says. Outsiders, and make the most of every opportunity. Verse six, let your conversation be gracious. Let it be attractive. Did you just hear that? You're like, well, pastor, yours is not attractive today. (laughs) Sorry. Let it be gracious. Let it be attractive so that you will have the right response for everyone. My gosh, verse five and six. You see how it keeps getting better and better? And like, how much better is it going to get? It gets better. How important is this for our day, verse 5 and 6? That we're not called just to pray. But you just said that's one of the most important things, right? But it's not the only thing. We're not called just to pray. Write that down. But hopefully in our prayerful lives, because we live prayerful lives, guess what's fruit of that? We begin to live in wisdom. We begin to live wisely. We begin to walk in wisdom. That we would not lack wisdom. How do you know when someone lacks wisdom? Paul gives us the answer. If you want, you can put the verse right up there. Look what he says. How do you know when someone lacks wisdom? Anyone catch it there? They miss the opportunities. Unwise people miss opportunities. People that are filled with his wisdom jump into and catch those opportunities. 
Don't lack wisdom. Don't miss the opportunities to reach the outsiders, those that are not believers. That, that we would fulfill, again, here is Paul speaking in these verses, but he's really speaking about what Jesus spoke about. Paul's not saying anything that Jesus would not have said, and hopefully you see in our church that we're not saying anything that the apostles and, the, and Scripture and Jesus would not have said. So what is it that Jesus said that Paul is saying? Jesus talks about in Matthew chapter 5, verse 13, about being the light of the world, does he not? So Paul is echoing some of the same thing. Because of our wisdom, we should be light of the world. We should be the light of the world. The lack of wisdom is like the lack of saltiness. That's what the lack of wisdom is like. It is no longer good. An unwise person is no longer good for anything. An an unsalty person is no good for anything. I I mean, these are Jesus' words, not mine, not even Paul's. Jesus says, they're good for one thing, to be thrown away and be trampled underfoot. That's what an unsalty person is good for. (laughs) Step on them. Like, whoa, that's kind of rough, Jesus. Like, your love, compassion and gracious. (laughs) But he's also true. So what is Paul saying? That our words would be graceful. Everyone say graceful. That our words would be attractive. Say attractive. Well, what do you mean by that? What I mean is this, not rude and repelling. You could be honest, but not rude. Honest and rude are two different things. A Christian is never meant to be rude. A Christian is always meant to be honest. You don't repel people. You attract people. And that's what our gospel does. That's what the light of Christ does. That's what wisdom does. If you've ever known someone that has wisdom, something about them draws you to them. Because you want some of that wisdom. You you learn from them. Every time you walk with a wise person, you learn something from them. So that our words would be graceful and attractive. Salt to our words. That believers' conversations would be flavorful. Come on, do your or is your conversations flavorful? Can someone drink out of your conversation and say, my God, this is sweet to my lips? Or does someone drink from your conversation and say, oh my God, this is bitter to my tongue? I'm not saying this. Colossians chapter 4 is saying this. Paul is ending this to the church saying, I'm going to teach you some things. Let your speech be gracious and attractive, honest, pure. Let it be flavorful. Verse 6, that you will have the right response to everyone. What does that sound like? Wisdom, it should be your answer. Someone that has the right response for everyone is a wise person. You want wisdom. Here, he, 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 this, oh man. All right, let's keep going. We need wisdom. How many of you could say, I need wisdom? We need wisdom in a world in which many are not living in it. Go home, and I could care less whether you listen to CNN or Fox News. (laughs) We need wisdom in in a world that's not wise. There is a lack of wisdom today. People are living for self and pleasing self. And everyone's opinion is merited as their own truth. God. 
There's sin and there's perversion. There's ignorance. It's running rampant. Because there's a, the reason why sin runs rampant is because there is not godly wisdom on the earth. The family more than ever is being attacked. Every church should be full, should be seeming. But the families are being attacked. Our women, men, our women are being attacked. <laughs> we don't, we don't. Children. Children are being attacked. And what is being taught is this anti-Christ, anti-biblical ideology all around us. You don't even have to go to school anymore. Disney's doing it for you. The schools are doing it. Hollywood's doing it. Your, your biggest preacher in your house, that cube called the TV, it's indoctrinating every single home with this world system ideology of oh, this is what a family is, and this is what a male should is, and this is what a female is, when they're all wrong, and they all lack the wisdom of God. We need wisdom because our children, and if you don't do it for your children, your grandchildren are going to be attacked. The next generation, how much longer are you and I going to let this go on for when we don't raise up the standard and say not anymore? Because in this house, in this family, in this church right here, we stand for the wisdom of the word of God. And that's what Paul's doing with the church. I believe that's what God is going to rise up in these last days. A voice of wisdom more than anything. Not a voice that battles and competes and rebuttals and fights on social. No, it's a voice of wisdom, pure, gentle, attractive, graceful wisdom that is going to dumbfound the ideas of this world. Come on, bride. Verse 5. Come on, live wisely. Walk in wisdom among the outsiders. Oh, how dare you call them outsiders? They're all sons and daughters of God. No, they're not. Just like you were not. You were an enemy of God. Now you are a son of God. They are enemies of God, and we need to bring them in so that they become sons of God. This is not the time to sugarcoat or feel good or let people just come in and come out not truly hearing the full truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is not the time to play with who God is and what God says. This is the time to be sure in what we're saying and in what we believe. Why? Because I have a five-year-old and a nine-year-old. I'll start there. I'll start there. That's why. And my son comes up to me almost every day because we watch the NBA finals. And in every NBA final, he has to come up to me and says, Dad, Dad, I saw the two guys kissing again. So every day, I have to teach my child. I got, I got, they're, they're there. 
They're fighting a battle that probably you and I never fought. It starts there. Come on, walk in wisdom. You need wisdom because there's a generation that's coming after you that needs your wisdom. Man. I don't even know if I should keep going on that, but verse prayer, wisdom, all these things are so important. And I'm going to wrap this up because that we could continue to talk about wisdom and I could continue because obviously this is what we're going through. Uh, you know where we're at, but this is the reality of it. Verse 7. I'll close up with this. I'll read. Oh, not really close up. I'll I'll tell you when I'm going to close. Give me a second. Verse 7. It says this. I'm just going to read through this because it's really, I mean, see if you catch it. It's just a lot of names, but see if you catch it. Ready? It's a lot of reading. Verse 7. And I'm going to massacre some of the names. Forgive me. Uh, However you want. Let's call him Ty. Verse 7, Ty, Ty will give you a full report about how I'm getting along. He's a beloved brother, faithful. He's a faithful helper who serves with me in the Lord's work. I sent him to you for this very purpose, to let you know how we're doing and to encourage you. I'm also sending Onesimus, we call him one. I mean, I hope you see why. He's a faithful and beloved brother as well. He's one of your own people. He and Ty will teach you everything that is happening here in Rome. Then we have Ari. Ari, my buddy Ari. Ari, he's in prison with me. Are you, are you catching this? Paul's ending his letter, church. Come on. What a way to end. Did, did you catch anything yet? Verse 7, Ty will give you. I'm also sending Onesimus. So I'm also sending one. Oh, and Ari. Yeah, Ari too. So, so far I'm talking to you about Ty and I'm talking to you about Onesimus and I'm talking to you about Ari. Ari's in prison with me. Guess what, guys? Guess what, church? He sends you his love. He says hello. Paul says it very Formal, very professional, because he's an apostle, you know. He's not a highly a pastor like me, so he says things like, he sends you greetings. These are the only Jewish believers among my co-workers. Co-workers, these are my guys. These are my co-workers. These are guys I, I cry with, bleed with, fight with. These are my guys. You have, you have guys? Girls, you have girls? Girls, you should have girls. And guys, you should have guys. You have your girls? Guys, you have your guys? Paul's like, I'm just writing to you about some of my guys. I'm closing my letter off. I just spoke to you about prayer. I just spoke to you about wisdom. I just spoke to you about all these awesome things. And and, and now let me close with this. These are my guys. These are my guys. Let, Let me keep reading to you about my guys. I'm not done. I have so many guys that I like to talk to you guys about. These are my dudes. These are my boys. These are my friends. These are my Co-workers, these are my brothers. Look what he says. 
Aries in prison. He sends you his greetings. Guess who else is here? Mark. The church is reading this. Like, oh my God, Mark is with him. It's almost like a picture. Look who's with Paul in the prison cell. But instead, it's in a writing because there's no pictures. Mark's here. Mark, Mark, look what he says. Mark's here as well, and so does Mark. He sends you his love, his greetings. He says hello with an emoji on it. You know Mark, because when the church got it, they're like, oh, what Mark is he talking about? But since they're all family, Barnabas' cousin, Barney's cousin. As you were instructed before, make Mark welcome if he comes your way. I think he's about to get released. He's going to head your way. Can you please make him feel welcome? Cook him a nice meal is what Paul's saying. Make sure he eats well. He's gotten a little skinny over here in Rome. Give him something good to eat, something good to drink. Make him feel well. This is my guy. And then there's Jesus. You're like, yes, finally, he's talking about Jesus. Not that Jesus. Jesus' name was actually very popular during this day. He says, this other Jesus, the one that we actually call Justice, because every time we mention him, we all think we're talking about our Lord, so we nickname him Justice. Justice, he's also here. He sends his love. He sends his greetings. Another emoji face. These are the only Jewish believers among my coworkers. They're working with me here for the kingdom of God. Look what he says. And what a comfort they have been. To who, Paul? To me. That's to who. They've been a comfort. We've been a comfort to each other. These are my guys. Verse uh, 12. Epaphras. Hey, when the church heard the name Epaphras, the church of Colossae, what do you think they did? Oh, come on. You guys are no fun. The whole church said, that's our guy. That's our pastor. Paul's talking about, he's giving a shout out to our pastor. Epaphras was their pastor. He says, Epaphras is here. He's a, because why is Epaphras there? He's telling that. He's actually telling me what you guys are doing. (laughs) All right. If you remember, Epaphras went to go visit Paul and he's telling on them, hey, they're actually falling to all these three different, (laughs) like, I need some help. And Paul's like, guys, Epaphras is here and he loves you. And he's like, the heck he does. He's telling on us. Okay. But that's what's happening. Guys, you need to read the scripture the way it's being written. Look what it says. Epaphras, a member of your own fellowship and a servant of Jesus Christ. I actually wrote this in my notes. Your pastor. Look what he says. Sends you his greetings too. And he's taking a letter home with him that's going to um, set you all straight. <laughs> he forgot to write that. But look what Epaphras does, church. He also prays for you earnestly because he's a prayerful man. He asks God to make you strong and perfect. He sure does. If, look how much Epaphras loves you, church, that he came all the way to Rome to visit me to seek counsel for you. Fully confident that you're following the whole will of God. Verse 13, I can assure you that he prays hard for you. Why do you think Paul's taking a little longer with Epaphras? Because Epaphras is going to show up with this letter that they're reading. And he's the one that's going to tell the church, sorry guys, I had to tell them. We needed some doctrine here. I can assure you, the guy that sends you this letter through my writing prays for you. And also for the believers, not just there in Colossae, in Laodicea, and in Heropolis. Oh, Luke, my guy Luke. The beloved doctor, he also sends his greetings. And guess who else does? Demas. Oh, all these guys, they all send you a hello. Verse 15, please give my greetings now to our brothers and sisters in Laodicea, in Nympha, in the church that meets in her house. 
And verse 16, 17, and 18, and we'll wrap this up. After you've read this, after you've read this, Colossians chapters 1 through 4, that took us six weeks. After you've read this, pass it on to the church in Laodicea. Did you catch that? It's not just for one church. It's for the whole church. Pass it on. Pass it on to the brothers so that they could also read this letter that is given to me by God. And you should read the letter that I wrote to them as well. Let, switch letters. Let Laodicea's letter get to you, and you give Laodicea your letter. Switch and learn from all these letters that I'm writing. <laughs> all right. And say to Archie, we call this guy Archie. Sometimes we call him hiccups. And be sure to carry out the ministry the Lord gave you. Say that to Archie. And then he says in verse 18, here's my greeting. In my own handwriting, just so you could know that I wrote this. Paul, remember my chains. May God's grace be with you. Colossians chapter 4. And we close the book. We close the book. What a blessing, huh? So I end with this. Paul's not alone. Paul's not alone. In this greeting, he mentions all these names. Individuals who labored with him, some risked their lives for the gospel, some were imprisoned, some would sell their very own lives, they sold their lives to walk away from everything that they knew so that they could follow and live for Jesus Christ, even if it means death. These are Paul's boys. They're in it to death. That's what we need. We need some friends around us that are in it to the day we die. Not in it for our good, in it for his good. Hey, if you're walking with Jesus, then we're walking together. Till when? Till the end. When we read this, you should, it, should, it should teach you the importance of, to all of us that we're not meant to do life alone. When we read this, we should learn that this journey that we're on, whether you want to call it a race or a fight, however you like to call it, it's done, guess what? With Paul's guys, it's done together. Paul was a very young, successful man in his young days. Growing and moving up the ladder amongst the religious leaders. But you know what? One encounter with Jesus changed Paul's life forever. And after he did all that, I don't have time to share it, but go to Philippians chapter 3, verse 7, 8, and 9. If you want, you can fly through the screen. Actually, I'll read it fast. He says, I once, all these things that I once gained were valuable. I consider them now worthless because of Christ and what he's done. Everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Jesus Christ, my Lord, for his sake. I've discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage, as rubbish, as so that I could gain Christ. Verse 9, become one with him. I no longer count on my own righteousness through obeying the law. Rather, I become righteous through faith in Christ. For God's way of making us right with himself depends on faith. At this point, at this point right here in Philippians forward, Man, he walked with many other men that would help him spread the gospel and make Paul's gift to the church even more effective. So I end with saying this, Paul's success, yes, all the glory goes to God, but the Lord put others around Paul. Without them, we could almost assume that he wouldn't have had the success and the influence that he had. What am I trying to tell you as we close? Put yourself around the right people. People that will go to the end, not for you, will go to the end for Jesus. And that's the best for you. The best for you is not that someone would love you for who you are. The best for you is that someone would love you for who Christ calls you to be.
Get yourself around the right people to the end. They have Christ as their center. They are not trying to see what they could get out of it, but are truly aiming, aiming at Christ and glorifying his name on the earth. You are not to let isolation creep in in your life. Your isolation is the devil's playground. Whoever needs to hear this is the devil's playground to have a field day with your life. So for your notes, I'm done with my time. Proverbs 12, 26, Proverbs 27, 6, Proverbs 17, 17, or read the whole Proverbs. All of it talks about righteous people choose their friends carefully. All of it talks about faithful are the wounds of a friend because it's better what a friend says and it hurts than anything else. I mean, friends, pick the right friends. All right. And I'm going to ask you to stand as we get ready to pray. And Rudy just put up on the screen. I was going to go through this, but I think God drew, I think the word of God did his, did its part. So I don't want to take any much from that, but I actually made a list for you. And I said, if you want a little bit of help, because some people are like, I just need help with the people I surround myself with. Here's a little help. Here are seven positive traits that a right friend, um, that a right friend would choose. First off, they're saved. They're born again. Number two, they fear the Lord. Number three, they're wise. Number four, they love you no matter what. Number five, they're honest about your sin. Number six, they give you good counsel. Number seven, they improve your walk in Christ. And I have verses for all of these things. And here are five negative traits for maybe um, some friends in your life. Ready? They're comfortable with sin. They're comfortable with evil. Those are not good friends to have. Number two, they're just worldly. Everything about them leads to worldliness. Number three, they have a lot of anger problems and have scripture for all of this. Oh, I don't know. We have to have grace. Actually, no. Proverbs says, make no friendship with an angry man. All right? Anger problems. Um, number four, they're riotous people or vile. So you even say gluttonous. So they're riotous, vile people. And number five, a bad friend to have is a gossiper. Proverbs says it again. He who covers a transgression seeks uh, love, but he who repeats a matter separates friends. Get away from gossipers. Those are some notes. I have verses for you, but amen. Jesus versus everything is actually Jesus over everything. And we've learned so much today. Just today, pray, pray godly, biblical prayers, pray for others and build your family Build your circle. Find your team. Don't be alone. Never be isolated. How many of you can say amen? Come on, join me in prayer. Lord, we thank you. We love you. You're so good and gracious to us. We thank you, Lord God, for all the blessings. We thank you for the truth of your scripture. We thank you, Lord God, because, Lord, in such a time when there's so many things being said, we get to gather here, take a moment, and hear what our God needs to say. So, Lord, I just ask that you would grab these chapters and you would grab today's chapter and what we read today and that it would bring fruit, this letter to the church of Colossae, that it would bring and yield the proper fruit in our lives, that we would become mature, wise, holy, Lord, righteous men and women that live in a land that is fallen, that is polluted with sin. And that we would be the holiness of God on this earth. So Lord, we thank you, Lord, for such a call as this. Every single one of us is called for such a call. They're called to this, to walk in this. So we give it to you, be glorified. And in our lives, 
May Jesus be over everything. May you have all reign, all rule, and govern and lead our lives to the day we go reign with you in eternity. We love you and we praise you. It's in Jesus' name. And nest together we say, amen. amen. Come on, give God some praise. He's worthy. You are loved. Have an awesome Sunday. I hope you enjoyed God's word today. Amen.